Welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and free agency continues in the NBA. And this Damian Lillard situation has still not been resolved in Portland. He still remains a member of the Blazers as of right now. And Chris Haynes from Bleacher Report reported that the Celtics were one of the teams that inquired about Lillard. Ramona Shelburne reported the Celtics are interested in Lillard and they have the assets to get a deal done. And this is what I love to hear, that the Celtics are actually in on Damian Lillard. They need to at least get a seat at the table here, right? And furthermore, Mark Spears of ESPN reported on Saturday that Jason Tatum has actually reached out and he's campaigning for Lillard to join the Celtics. Of course, they have the connection from Team USA. Okay, so a couple of things here. I give Brad Stevens credit where if you look at the coaching staff, you bring in Charles Lee and you bring in Sam Cassell and you could look at this team and say, hey, we're not going to have the controversy to start this year that we did last year, of course, because you don't have the Ime Udoka situation and the team's going to be a year older and will just be better. No, he goes out this offseason and he trades for Kristaps Porzingis and he traded Marcus Smart, of course, in that process. But If you look at it, he says, hey, we have an opportunity to get better. Let's do it this offseason. We can't just look at the team we've had the past two seasons and say gradual improvements will happen. No, we needed a change, right? Because here's the thing. You have a chance to strike in this window that the Celtics are in right now where they have an opportunity with Tatum to win an NBA championship. You have to improve your roster any way you possibly can. And the Celtics have this open window. Now, I've mentioned there's a couple of things over the past few weeks that I'd like Tatum to do better. And also, I think part of it is, hey, look, last year, there should have been more fourth quarter minutes for Derek White. Those minutes will be available this year because the Marcus Smart Club has been taken out of the bag for Joe Mazzullo. So that means you're going to have to, by default, give Derek White more fourth quarter minutes. But when I speak about these windows in the NBA... There are by no means guarantees. The Celtics have an opportunity with a superstar level player in the league to win a championship, but there's no guarantee. And we've seen in the history of this league, remember the Chris Paul Clippers, it felt like they were the next team in line. And if you look at it, remember they had Chris Paul, they had Blake Griffin, they had DeAndre Jordan, who made an all-NBA team one year, JJ Redick, of course, a great shooter. Those teams were all really good. But what happened? They never got over the hump, right? In 14... They beat the Warriors in the first round, but then they lost to the Thunder in the second round. And if you remember back to that series, it was tied 2-2. Game 5, they choke it away. 104-102, they have the lead late. Chris Paul has a brutal turnover. Then he fouls Russell Westbrook on a three-point shot. Russell Westbrook hits all three of the free throws. The next play down, Chris Paul has an opportunity to win the game. What does he do? Serge Ibaka steals the ball from him. And of course, the Clippers don't recover after that. The Thunder win the series. Then in 2015, the Clippers back at it again. They're up 3-1 in the second round against the Houston Rockets. They blew a 128-95 lead over the Rockets in Game 5. They never recover. And oh, by the way, James Harden was on the bench for all this. They never recover. And the Clippers as an organization are never the same after that, right? But if you look at that team, Chris Paul was incredible during that stretch before faltering in the playoffs. And Blake was an absolute monster at that point in his career. In fact, one year he finished in the top three in the MVP voting. But the point is, the Clippers, they felt they had a runway with their core, and they just never recovered from those bad losses, right? The choke job that we referenced in Game 5 against the Thunder. And again, the 3-1 blown lead against the Houston Rockets. And the Celtics, to their credit, have made it further than those Clippers teams, right? They made it to the NBA Finals two years ago, but 
They had a 2-1 series lead, remember, against the Golden State Warriors. And in game four, they had a lead in the fourth quarter. And what happened? Curry went nuts and the Celtics were outscored 28-19. And after that, I just felt like personally, the Celtics are not going to win the series. They were not going to overcome that loss, right? And this past season, the Celtics were the more talented team than the Miami Heat. We talked about it, right? And what transpired there, the Celtics came all the way back from a 3-0 deficit just to lose in Game 7. And I get you can say, hey, well, Jason Tatum was hurt. I acknowledge that. But in Games 1 and 2, Tatum was 4 of 13 from 3. And I get it. He had some big raw numbers, the 34 points, the 30 points. But remember, he's turning the ball over. Four turnovers and five turnovers. And he took too many threes. So the difficult losses for the Celtics team are starting to pile up, right? And this team has its flaws. They struggle to finish games. We've seen it over and over again. And so you have a longer runway than those Clippers teams do just because of the fact that Jason Tatum is younger than Chris Paul was at that particular point in time. And the Clippers dealt with some injuries, but we've seen issues with this Celtics team. And if you have an opportunity to upgrade your team and have a better chance at actually winning in this window that you have, you certainly owe it to yourself to do it. And we've already seen them address and bring in a player in Porzingis that helps bring a new offensive element to your team, right? He adds to your offensive portfolio, right? But adding Damian Lillard to this team would completely wipe away the the issues the Celtics have from an offensive perspective. Remember, the Celtics in clutch games this postseason were just five and six. And that just means when the scoring margin is within five points with five minutes or fewer remaining, the Celtics in those clutch games had just an 11.4 net rating. They were outscored by 11.4 points per 100 possessions. And if you look at the teams that ended up in the finals, the Nuggets were 8-4 and four in clutch games, 17.3 net rating, positive. The Heat were 7-4, and 22.2 net rating. So those teams that made the finals could actually win the close games. The Celtics couldn't. And if you look at the Celtics in terms of the fourth quarter this season, they weren't good. A 112.4 offensive rating in the fourth quarter, that was 17th in the NBA. Remember, the Celtics were the best team in the NBA from a net rating perspective. They were 17th in offensive rating in the fourth quarter of the season, just not nearly good enough. Well, Damian Lillard, fourth quarter numbers this past season, he averaged eight points per game in the fourth quarter. That was fourth in the league, and he shot 47.1% from the field. So he would solve your fourth quarter issues to help out Jason Tatum with the playmaking. So look, the Porzingis addition... Great job by Brad Stevens admitting also that they needed to make a change. But when a player like Lillard becomes available, you need to be involved in that. And the fact that Tatum is pitching Damian Lillard on the Celtics tells me a couple of things. He's doing what a superstar player does, and he knows he needs more help, right? Like Tatum is now one of the legit superstars in this league. He's a top 10 player in the game. Even if he's not perfect yet, he is one of the guys in the league, so to speak. So that's a great thing. And finally, the Celtics, they have a legitimate pitch here. Hey, uh, Damian Lillard, we've been to the Eastern Conference Finals each of the past two seasons. We've been to the Finals. You're the missing piece. And I do feel like from Lillard's perspective, and I know we get all this stuff about his agent, according to Woj from ESPN, is telling teams, hey, don't trade for Lillard unless you're the Miami Heat. And I just think that's trying to draw down the price or... The other teams that would be interested other than Miami try to make them give less offers so Miami can actually be the team. I get what he's trying to do here, but you have a legitimate pitch. Hey, man, you can put us over the top. And what is Lillard going to do? Is he really going to go to a team where he's still got three years remaining on his contract and say, 
yeah, you know what? I'm not going to play. I mean, it's just ridiculous that you would actually assume that would happen. So I think the Celtics should keep trying on this one. And I don't think Jalen would be in the deal. It'd probably be a situation where you put in a ton of draft picks in this deal. Three first rounders, a bunch of swaps. Brogdon would have to be part of the deal. And Robert Williams would have to be part of the deal as well. So I just think the Celtics should be heavily involved in this. And I like, I feel like it's a good thing that we see that they're active in this situation. And the other thing I would say is, Yes, the Celtics could stay the course and be the Bucks or the Nuggets, and eventually your stars get over the top, or you could be like those Clippers teams. Now, admittedly, the Celtics have had more success than the Paul Griffin Clippers already have, but you're in danger of doing that, and if you have a chance to improve your team, might as well go out and try to do it. All right, now, I did want to mention Grant Williams because, of course, he's now a member of the Dallas Mavericks. He was traded this week in a package for two second-round draft picks. Now, look, Grant did dip off as a defender, and he's a versatile defender. I get all that. But this is another reason you should be in on Lillard, because your depth, it's no longer going to be there, right? I love the Porzingis trade, but Smart's out of the building, and Grant Williams is out of the building. So you don't have that same depth that you've had in years past. Now, with Grant, he is somebody that is not really a wing stopper, and he's not really a rim protector, right? So he's not Aaron Gordon on the wing, or he's not Brooke Lopez as a rim protector. He's not an elite defender. He's a versatile one. But if you look at him this postseason, he certainly dipped off. In terms of the isolation numbers, 1.46 points per possession against Grant. That was basically the worst in the entire postseason of anybody that guarded at least 20 possessions. And during the regular season, he wasn't great either. 1.02 points per possession, 32nd percentile. Now, I'm not trying, this is not supposed to be a big indictment on Grant. He is going to be a loss. And the way they handled him last year, it's still perplexing to me, right? I don't know why he was out of the rotation to begin the Philly and the Atlanta series. And I never got not giving him minutes at the five to begin the season, right? They gave Cornette a ton of minutes at the five because of the Rob injury and Al not playing in back-to-backs. But if you look at some of the numbers via cleaning the glass last season, just 8% of Grant's minutes were at the center position, which I felt like you should have dug into that early in the season when you had the opportunity with no Robert Williams, because if you look at the numbers, the offensive rating via cleaning the glass with Grant at the five, Celtics had a 120 rating. That was in the 87th percentile. So I just don't understand why they didn't dig into that more, and I feel like they really misused Grant. But at this particular point, when you brought in Porzingis, you're not going to pay $54 million, especially with the second apron that now the Celtics are under. You're not going to pay that type of money for a fourth big. It just, from a practical standpoint, it just doesn't make the sense for the Celtics to pay that price. Now, one thing I do find interesting about what the Celtics did in this Grant Williams move here is they got back two second round draft picks. Now, I never thought they were actually going to get a first back. I understand why they were trying to get a first for Grant. But the two second round draft picks are interesting to me because now if you look at sort of what Brad has compiled, in addition to those two second round draft picks, he's picked up five other second round draft picks. And you say, well, you don't really get a lot for seconds. I wonder if this means the Celtics are more likely to add at the deadline than they are this offseason. Because if you look at last year's deadline, Jay Crowder was traded for five seconds. Now, obviously, it didn't work out. He was not particularly great for Milwaukee. Sadiq Bey was traded for five seconds. Gary Payton was traded for five seconds. And Josh Richardson was traded for four seconds. Thomas Bryant for three. Now, not all those guys worked out, but this is sort of the new currency in the NBA. And I wonder if Brad is compiling, compiling these picks to make a move as we get closer to the trading deadline. All right, a lot more coming up here on The Local Angle. You're here from my buddy John Jastrzemski from New York, New York, Jason Goff from The Full Go in Chicago, and you'll also hear from the guys from the Philly Special as well. 
and welcome to the local angle. It's the Ringers Philly special crew. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined as always by Raheem Palmer. Talk a little Sixers offseason, which is the never ending story. Raheem, I noticed today that you're wearing white. I was wondering if that's an homage to James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Michael Rubin, Josh Harris, and everybody who was at the white party this past week. I wish it was a homage to them, but I was just going to the gym and just decided to just throw on a white t-shirt. Um, I wanted to get some lift in and, you know, make sure I'm, I'm in good shape. But I do think that white party said a lot about the state of the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Did it say a lot about whether or not we take this stuff too seriously? Mm, I don't know if we take it too seriously. I think it says a lot about Harton's friendships with the, the people on the team versus his friendships with the organization, how he see, how he feels about them and how he feels about Daryl Morey right now. Okay, so for people who aren't terminally online, Michael Rubin, who is a former minority owner of the Sixers, is the head of Fanatics, big player, big-time guy, likes to hang out with players, likes to hang out with famous people, is a famous person in his own right, had this party, his annual white party, where every all the celebrities show up to this beach party, they wear white, I think it's in the Hamptons, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, the point being is that we have been going through this offseason since James Harden opted into his contract and requested a trade, kind of being like, we're writing James Harden off. That's the end of the James Harden era. If you don't want to be here, let us pack your stuff and send you out of town, as is usually like how Philadelphia fans react to whenever a player doesn't want to be in Philly anymore. And this whole time, I've been kind of like, mentally, I'm done with this. I'm done with Harden. I'm kind of glad I don't have to watch him in the playoffs next season. Glad I don't have to go through whether or not he's going to dog it in the beginning part of the season because he's trying to get traded. I'm glad this is going to be over with. And then I see all these pictures from the party, and I'm like, if these guys don't care, why do I care? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, if these guys don't care, if these guys are like, this is my homie, this is my friend James, like, it's all business. I don't know. It seems like the ones who lose out are, are like fans in this in this case, where it's like we're the ones who are so emotionally invested in this. I was talking about this with Bill. I was just like, am I supposed to – how am I supposed to interpret these photos and like their friendship? It's like I'm really happy that these guys are having a good time, but maybe it's just Harden's just going to come back. Okay, so when I saw that, I just felt like Harden would still play with Joel Embiid, probably still likes Joel Embiid. Robbie still likes Tobias Harris, probably likes everybody on the team. But as I said before, Harden has made a ton of sacrifices for this organization, allowing them to bring in P.J. Tucker, changing his style of play so that he could play second fiddle. And then when the season ends, he doesn't get that long-term contract. So I just kind of looked at it like, all right, this is a separation between Harden and the front office versus Harden and the team. And I think they can't come to an agreement. So I just saw it as just business. You know, obviously me, I just I just was saying this on Twitter, but me as a sports better, I don't get as invested as yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Like I'm already past the point of being a fan- fanatic. So I don't, it doesn't hurt me to see stuff like that. I wonder also, it's like there are different kinds of personalities, right? Like I don't like, I have friends who are really into negotiating for their cars. Like when they, when they go and they go to the car dealership, they're like, I'm going to break this dude. And I'm not like that. I'm like, this is miserable. This takes too long. Tell me what it's going to cost to let me get out of here. Like that kind of thing. And maybe that's my reaction to what Harden's doing, which is essentially negotiating. He's negotiating because he's not getting the what he determines to be his market value. And he sort of tried to 
do an end around into free agency because when he was a restrict when he was a free agent for those brief moments where it seemed like okay is he going to go to Houston is he going to go someplace that can absorb him into, into their cap it was like okay maybe the market's not what I thought it was especially when Houston turns around and essentially rebuilds their roster with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks who are two players who I would say uh are the opposite of what James Harden is. You know, James Harden, like Fred Van Vliet doesn't take days off, really. You know what I mean? Fred Van Vliet yeah. is a culture setter. And Harden is like, you're going to get the great, you're going to get the the bad, you're going to get the ugly um, with Harden. Mm. So I was just kind of like, oh, maybe this is like all negotiation. You know, like maybe Harden's going to opt into this deal and it's going to be like, you know, it, it's like the grass isn't always greener and I'll stick with the Sixers, especially if this Clippers deal doesn't come through. And I'm starting to as time ticks away i'm like i don't if the clippers deal was going to happen like the clippers are getting lapped by their western conference rivals like at some point they're going to have to like start to add on here i don't think the clippers deal is going to happen i think didn't the cba kick in with the second apron yeah so i think that that, deadline yeah so that has an impact as well i just get the sense that maury knowing how he operated with ben simmons i just get the sense that he is going to say look I'm not trading James Harden for anything but a piece or pieces that could help us win a championship. I'm not going to take 75 cents on a dollar. So I'm just going into the season thinking that we're going to run it back with James Harden. Yeah, but man, in the meantime, what's happened is is that the Sixers have kind of stood pat trying to get this solved. And all of our bench depth has left the team. So we signed Pat Beverly, but we lose McDaniels. We lost Niang. Uh, you know, we like we basically have we lost Shake Milton, which, you know, like say what you will. If you have a backcourt injury, you're gonna need your Shake Miltons. And I guess they're yeah. gonna replace that with Beverly. Uh, but Beverly is not the offensive player that Shake Milton is. And I think, you know, Beverly is like maybe a good culture setter and Beverly may be a good locker room guy. But it, it seems like Beverly is like basically a one and done in every team that he goes to because they need something different from their roster than what Beverly provides. And the only thing giving me solace is the fact that most teams seem paralyzed by some big deal that could happen. Like the Heat are paralyzed by this Harden deal. The Celtics seem to be amassing a lot of capital for a purpose that I cannot divine. Um, Mm. You know, the Bucks are going to run it back, but will likely, I don't know, you think they're going to lose Lopez at this point? It seems like they, you know, it seems like they're they're running out of time to make that happen. They lost Joe Ingles, like they've brought back Middleton, but I don't know what's going to happen with Lopez. So at least our rivals in the conference have not drastically improved. Would you say that that's like at least giving you some peace? Yeah, it definitely gives me some peace. And, you know, as much as I felt like Boston improved with the Chris Straps Porzingis acquisition, it feels like they lost a lot of depth. Like, yeah. this is the team that you lose the heart and soul in Marcus Smart. Now you lose Grant Williams. They're an injury away from not being the same Celtics team that we've seen throughout the years. Right. And we all know Chris Strasburgzingas can't stay healthy. Who knows what's going to happen with Jalen Brown? He hasn't been extended yet. So it does bring you solace. And I just, I feel like just based on the new salary cap, we're going to see so many moves. So. We just kind of have to just wait out the right move for us, which I have faith in, in Daryl Morey doing. It's such a strange now we, off season in that way because, like, usually off seasons are front loaded, or usually off seasons take place 
in their entirety in 72 hours over July 4th weekend. And it's just like from midnight for 60 hours after that, it's just nothing but deal, 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 deal. And now because of Dame and because of Harden and because of these teams sort of lying in the, you know, waiting in the wings, like maybe we can be the third team in a Miami Portland trade, or maybe we can be the third team in a Clippers Sixers trade or whatever these teams are doing. It seems like everything is like on this sort of cliff's edge, this knife's edge rather waiting to find out like, okay, when, when's Portland going to blink or when is Philly going to blink? And odds are that, that that Portland needs to blink before Philly does because Daryl's got his guy under contract for a year and his guy is partying with his teammates and seemingly having a good time. So I saw there was some uh, talk about how Windhorst keeps dropping little kernels of Daryl's got something up his sleeve on various TV appearances I'm a little too old to keep myself awake at night, like trying to unpack Easter eggs <laughs> that get left on like first take and get up. But what do you think? I mean, do you think that this is, do you think this is going to be the team that we have going into next season? <sighs> I, I'm, I'm leaning closer to that. I, I really am just because unless somebody really steps up and just hits us with an offer, I just don't see us. I don't see Maury trading for pennies on the dollar. I just don't. I, I, I think, just don't see another star out there, another top forty guy that's like in in play. Unless I'm, yeah. unless I'm skipping teams that I don't remember or something. Like if it's going to be a parts deal, if it's going to be Norm Powell and, and Terrence Mann and Cap Filler, I think it would have happened already. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about before you know we jump over just to the some some truly hardcore Sixer stuff is what you make of Tyrese Maxey not being extended and his name both coming up in trade rumors and then being removed from trade rumors rather publicly through the media with, with Brian Winhorst saying, like, I have been informed that Tyrese Maxey is untouchable under no circumstances would he be traded. And then sarcastically was like, it, it, not even Prime Jordan. Like, if, if Prime Jordan was the deal, like, they would not trade Maxey. Do you think that this is just, like, Daryl kind of like making sure everybody knows like this is my guy. This is tough. Um, obviously, if you don't extend Maxi, he becomes a, a a restricted free agent next summer. Um, I, I guess I can see the logic. You want to make sure that he is the guy that you know they say he is, but at the same time, you know Maury has to defend it. So, um, you you don't want to make him feel slighted in any yeah. way but but at the same time i mean we saw what happened with jordan Poole. they extended him yeah and he was a complete mess look at a guy and like then, tyler hero who went from being like the cornerstone of the miami heat to we can get to the finals without this guy are we sure we need him yeah like you want to have that financial flexibility um even if you just want to chase somebody else now obviously it is <laughs> it is kind of scary when you let a guy go into restricted free agency because somebody else can send out an offer sheet for him and, and put poison pill stuff in there and you end up having to pay everything up front and front load it the way they do it. But I, I think this is probably the right move. All right, we're going to wrap it up there for the local angle. If you want to hear some more hardcore Sixers talk, jump over to the Ringers Philly special. Raheem and I talk about Sixers. Shields on there talking to Eagles. We got some Phillies talk as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching the local angle.
Welcome into the local angle. Shout out to all of our FanDuel TV peeps. I am Jason Goff. This is the Full Goal Podcast brought to you by the ring. Of course, Spotify is the game. You can catch us every Sunday, every Tuesday, and every Thursday unless there's a holiday or there's historic flooding in the city of Chicago where all of a sudden I hearken back to my younger days when you had to be on the phone with the comment people and you're looking at mom and dad like, man, did y'all do what y'all was supposed to do? Oh, okay, this is just a new blackout. All right, bet, bet, bet. There's nothing like, and maybe this is a two Chicago's or two Americas thing, but there's nothing like being a child and being put on the phone and sit and told to listen to hold music until someone arrives on said phone. Maybe you don't know that life, and if you don't, God bless you. But if you do know that life, God bless you even more. Shout out to y'all out there who had to sit and wait for 20 minutes while your mom and dad had to figure things out on whatever level they had to figure things out on. All right, so it stopped raining here in the city of Chicago, and shout out to NASCAR coming and going and traffic jam. Listen, 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 listen. I want to say this because Kyle understands this. Chris, you and I have talked about Chicago over the last, I don't know, 100 or so episodes. So you're getting a feel for the city. I am so thankful that I live in this city and I'm a part of this city because so many cool events come to this city, but nothing cooler than a NASCAR event coming to the city and it raining like it's never rained before. People are out there and them bleachers getting soaking wet. You got dudes who already don't want to be in the city of Chicago for various reasons aligned with NASCAR that are just stuck here, you know, having to do all the local things. And of course, the city did what the city is going to do. Yes, yes, if you read correctly, there was a news report that a minivan went through a barricade and then all of a sudden 20 cars got onto a NASCAR track and not just 20 cars from open wheel racing, not 20 cars from Indy racing, not even 20 cars from NASCAR racing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, 20 cars that you see driving up and down Lakeshore Drive just wanted to get on the course, just wanted to hang out see what it was all about you know the the fan interaction took it to another level i'm not gonna lie to y'all i'm not one of these dudes who's gonna say that i was watching something that i didn't watch i did not catch a second of it shout out to grayson dean racing though i caught up through his instagram because that young man has been on this pod before he got a chance to chop it up with bubba wallace shout out to my guys over at brand b sports uh jay cam and all the people out there that were involved in the uh uninterrupted activation it was it it made the city look beautiful even though it was noah's ark out there we had we had manhole covers flying up in the west loop this really did look like it was about to be the end of times like i looked outside and it was dark and gloomy and it's noon and the rain did not stop for the entire weekend so shout out to everybody out there um and we're at the halfway mark of the baseball season right? You've got the All-Star game coming up. you got four guys headed to the All-Star game from both sides of the city. Dansby Swanson, Justin Steele, Marcus Stroman, and of course, Luis Robert Jr. And I want to I want to get into how I felt over the last, I don't know, six or seven games, especially what I thought would be a nice little stretch with the Angels and the Athletics for the Chicago White Sox. I want to give you a little personal anecdote. Okay, a little personal story. Kyle, you don't even have to shake your head. You already know what's about to happen here. I want to give y'all a little personal story. I don't know that I've ever told this story um, uh, to anybody, to be honest with you. So 
coming up in Evanston after we moved, you know, a couple of times, landed in Evanston. Shout out to the great city of Evanston, Illinois. Uh, found myself near Community Center, right? Fleetwood Jordan Community Center. Shout out to Fleetwood. If you're in or around Evanston, it's a historic site for community activity and just growing up. And there was a basketball league that I stumbled upon as a young kid called the Fam League, Fellowship for African-American Males, right? Like a bunch of young dudes from the community coaching a bunch of kids from the community. This is my way in. You know, I really, you know, as a kid, I didn't make friends the easiest because I went to a bunch of different little schools as an elementary student, right? Moms and dads was figuring out what they had to figure out. We landed in Evanston. Next thing you know, I pull up to the Fleetwood Jordan Community Center and I get in line. There is an all-out draft for little kids, which is always a great way to boost the ego of children in your community is to line them up physically and say I'll take that one, I'll take this one, I'll take that one. So we're not going to talk about which pick in the draft I was. You know, I hadn't sprouted yet. You know, I was still a little short, still a little chubby, you know, still trying to figure out my way in life. But that summer I got myself together. Right? I was outside running wind sprints. I was doing everything I possibly could do to get myself in better game shape because I figured if the talent wasn't going to take me over the top, the effort and the hustle and the want to and the stamina would. So after getting drafted by the Bucks and shout out to, uh, well, shout out to everybody on that coaching staff, a few people who aren't here anymore for various reasons, but I, I sat on the end of that bench for a few games thinking to myself, what will be my lot in community center basketball life? I then got to the point where I got confident enough. I started getting in some games, started feeling good about things. I got so confident that I asked my dad, who was always working, always working, say, hey, man, Come check your boy out one day. Come, you know, come see what I got going on over here at the community center. Now, in games of 21, I was doing what I had to do. Organized basketball wasn't really the lot, my lot in life at that point. So I remember the day like it was yesterday. Pops pulled up to a game. This is when we had the evening games, too, on the weekends. Pop pulled up to the evening game. The gym is full. The game is going on. I see my pops walk in. He didn't get there right when the game started, but I see dad walk in and I'm like, oh, 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 it is time now. It is time. I look over at the coach and I'm just like, all right, score is getting out of hand here. (laughs) At some point, you got to put your boy in at some point. And ladies and gentlemen, I looked over at him. He gave me the nod. He must have saw my pops walk in. You know, my pops, you know, my pops stands out of the crowd, you know, decent dressed man. You could tell that he wasn't one of these dudes betting on the kids like the animals. All right. So we go out there. The whistle blows. I get subbed into the game, scores table, did everything I had to do. Neil right there. Don't go running in. Wait till they tell you to go in. You know, you got to look like you've been there before. I was so encaptured and enthralled by the moment that when I got in the game, I got inbounded the ball and I said to myself, this is my time. This is the moment. He is here. He is about to see what all his hard work paid off for. This is the reason why you invited Pops to the game. And then in that moment, too, I thought, why is no one sticking me? Oh, this is about to be a highlight. Ladies and gentlemen, I laid the ball up in my own basket. My dad got up and walked out. He never came to another one of my sporting events ever again after that. (laughs) I'm telling you this to tell you this. 
What I watched from the Chicago White Sox over the last three days and almost getting swept by one of the worst baseball teams that I have ever seen put together. There are names. On, if you don't know baseball, it's fine because there are names that even baseball people don't know on the Oakland Athletics, ladies and gentlemen. After everything that we saw the last two games of the Angel series and Luis Robert Jr. going toe-to-toe with Shohei Otani and, you know, not winning, but at least trying to go toe-to-toe in terms of who was the most outstanding player in that series heading into the A-series thinking, God damn it, White Sox about to make some hay. This trash-ass division is about to get some gain, you know, some ground gained on it. And they go and almost get swept by the A's. The A's have the worst run differential in 20 years up until this point in Major League Baseball. Two decades. And they go up against the Oakland A's and they barely get out of there. (laughs) Losing two out of three. I'm going to tell y'all right now. I've never felt more like my dad in my life. Some people say I look like my dad. Some people say I may dress like my dad. Some people may say I carry myself like my dad. And I take all those things as compliment. And with that being the case, me being my dad's son, I'm going to tell y'all right now, I'm getting ready to get my up and walk out. <laughs> I'm getting ready. It's day 12 games under 500. I am no longer, I am sitting in here watching because I don't watch them live anymore. I watch them the next morning because I want my night to be, you know, full of uh, uh, sanctity and, and appreciation and gratitude. Okay. I don't need the White Sox to do what they do to me at nights anymore. So now I'm watching two games a day at this Drek. I'm watching Luis Robert Jr. and Eloy Jimenez go crazy at the plate. I'm watching box and, and weird happening. I'm watching Tim Anderson finally hit his first home run of the season. He got his first home run of the season. We 80 some odd games into the season. The bullpen is in shambles. They pitching three or four innings every game. Mike Clevenger's injury and got this thing where it's a bullpen day. Oh, wait a minute. Even when the starters out there, they go five. Next thing you know, they out. So, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Dito Golf, my dad, better known as Ellsworth Golf. Guess what, pops? I feel you. And I never, ever put it, I never held it against you. I would have walked out on my ass in that moment, too. Okay? And the Chicago White Sox, as I sit here at, at a big age of 42 years old, looking y'all right in the face, saying, y'all not going to play. I told you you wasn't going to play with me this summer. I told you. The summer was going to be too short. There has already been a monsoon. We have gotten maybe two days out of summer so far where it's been nice weather and not oppressive heat. Not doing this with y'all. I will get my ass up and I will walk out of this season. Okay? Like I've been threatening to. Louise Robert Jr. and Eloy kind of pulled me back in. Right? Dylan Cease is finding this stuff a little. He's still hanging in the middle of the play. He don't look like he looked like he did last year. Lucas Giolito is out here throwing bullpens in the ninth inning of an extra inning game that's, that's getting ready to happen because you ain't got no damn bullpen arms. Everybody's in shambles. <laughs> Everything is going wrong. <laughs> but they got an all-star, huh? Oh, my God. As far as the Cubs are concerned, all this talk about Marcus Stroman getting dealt and, you know, Justin Steele's leading the majors in, well, yeah, leading the National League in the ERA right now. Dansby Swanson's been outstanding. They need a little bit more power from the middle of their lineup, right? I'm waiting for Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki and them boys to start hitting the baseball. And, of course, Cody Bellinger has been hurt. But when he's been in there, it's, it's had a different vibe to it. 
The, the Cubs are at a crossroads right now, too. But at least they daddy ain't getting ready to walk out of them. And that's exactly what I'm getting ready to do if the Chicago White Sox keep playing with my emotions this blessed summer. For Kyle Williams and Chris Sutton, this has been the local angle here in the city of Chicago. Stay dry out there, y'all. Welcome back to the local angle here on FanDuel TV. I'm John Zustremski, the host of New York, New York, and a very different vibe to the end of the first half for both the Yankees and the Mets, respectively, here in 2023, compared to what we had in 2022. Let's not forget, at this time last year, the Yankees and the Mets basically took over the sport and took over the All-Star game out at Chavez Ravine. You had Yankees galore in the game. You had Judge there. You had Stanton there. You had the unlikely stories of Nesta Cortez and Jose Trevino and Clay Holmes. And everything was coming up Yankees out in La La Land for the All-Star game. And you could make the same argument with the New York Mets. Great year out of Starling Marte. Uh, you had Edwin Diaz and the Trumpets. You had Alonzo doing his thing. And the vibes have been very different for both of these teams for obvious and different reasons where last year at the All-Star break, both were in first place. At this time, they were both in cruise control. Now it is about the struggle of both the Yankees and the Mets to find themselves into the tournament, into the month of October. And I think it's fair to say that halfway through this year, the team that is better positioned to go and get themselves into the dance, and I'm not going out on much of a limb by saying this, it's obviously the New York Yankees. The Yankees playing much better baseball. The Yankees in playoff positioning. The Yankees have done the job beating Texas two out of three, beating Seattle two out of three, playing better ball against the Baltimore Orioles. And the question for them is going to be twofold here. There's the elephant in the room. There's the obvious question in the room. When are you getting Aaron Judge back? And how effective can Aaron Judge be if it's in early August, if it's in late August, if it's as a designated hitter? But what kind of force can he be in jump-starting and in changing the fabric, the feel, the look of the Yankee lineup? It's not as simple as the NBA where one player makes a team, even though in the regular season, that may very well be the case where the Yankee lineup has looked drastically different without number 99. But if they can get him at 70 to 75%, I think it makes a huge difference for what the rest of the lineup looks like, for other guys sliding down into those complementary roles. And it kind of makes everything flow and, and, and feel that much different from the Yankees' standpoint. So that's question number one that the Yankees have got to get straightened out. Question number two, the Yankees got to get straightened out. Okay, you need Aaron Judge back, but you need to get answers out of some of the big dogs within this lineup. Because if Anthony Rizzo is not going to hit for power, if John Carlos Stanton is not going to hit, what's the pathway in the avenue for the Yankees to go and win? There's not an avenue and a pathway for the Yankees to go and win. They'll add a marginal bat, a solid bat, a back-end bat 
between now and the August 1st trade deadline. But are they going to go and get somebody that makes that much of a difference? I highly doubt it. Shohei Otani's not getting traded. The Padres, I'd be stunned if they're going to put a guy like Juan Soto on the open market. So who is the difference-making bat that's going to all of a sudden dramatically and just feel-wise, look-wise, shape-wise, change the entire tenor of the Yankee lineup? I don't think that guy is out there. John Carlos Stanton playing up to the back of his baseball card is one of the ways you can get there. Anthony Rizzo, who was as good as any Yankee over the first six weeks of the year and was on his way to the All-Star game after the first six weeks of the year, has hit a home run in over a month. Forget about Donaldson. Forget about LeMayu. Donaldson's cooked. And LeMayu, I hate to say it, his body is just broken down to a point where he's never going to be the guy he was in 2019 or 2020. Forget about those guys. The middle of the order bats. Stanton and Rizzo complimenting Judge when he returns, they are paramount for the Yankees. And then the other element in play here is run prevention. And that is one thing the Yankees have done a very good job of doing that's kind of kept them afloat within this wildcard race and within the power structure of the American League. They catch the ball, and they've pitched really well. Their pitching should get much better in theory by welcoming back a guy like Carlos Rodon, who they spent north of $150 million to go and get, to go and bring in. Now, all of a sudden, your rotation should look that much better with Cole and Rodon being that one-two that you envisioned at the start of the year. Then you get Cortez back in the fold. And can he find his form from last year or come close to it? Same for Luis Severino, who has not done the part. But Yankee starting pitching has not been the problem. But can it get that much better? The bullpen cannot get much better. It has been as good as any bullpen in the entire sport. Do they have that dominant closer? Not necessarily. But Coy Holmes has pitched much better. And you have Canely and you have Peralta. And the Yankees have answers getting outs late in these games. They've gotten a boost from Harrison Bader's return. Anthony Volpe, since he's had that magic chicken parm dinner and he's ditched his old you know, outdated Yankee hitting coach approach and went back to his minor league approach has been the guy I think many Yankee fans envisioned when he made the team at the start of the year. That's what the Yankees have going for them. Bader and Volpe infusion in the lineup, run prevention, but can they get Judge back and can they have Stanton and Rizzo firing on all cylinders, getting into the playoffs and playing in the playoffs? That's their hope on going in a run within the American League. That's what you got to think about as we move forward into July, August, and September. From a Mets perspective, the Mets were 10 games under the 500 mark, losing a gut-wrenching heartbreaker to the San Francisco Giants on Friday night. Well, they won four consecutive games, and you can make the argument that Wednesday was one of, if not their most dramatic win of the year. Think about this for a minute. The Mets had a game in which Kodai Sanga shut down the very powerful Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the better lineups in the National League this season. One run, double-digit strikeouts, going eight innings, masterful performance. You went into the ninth inning of that game, and you're thinking it's going to be all for naught, that the Mets are going to lose this game one to nothing, that they're going to waste the gem thrown by Kodai Sanga, and you're going to flush it right down the toilet. 
thankfully for the Mets, their young phenom, Francisco Alvarez, behind the plate, who provides something that not a whole lot of teams have behind the dish. New York fans know well because they had a Hall of Fame catcher, Mike Piazza, do it for almost a decade in a Met uniform. The Yankees had it for a decade in Jorge Posada and what he provided. When you have a catcher, especially now, where there are not a whole lot of high-quality, high-caliber, offensive-minded backstops have game-wrecking power, it should, in theory, be a game-changer for you. It should, in theory, be a difference-maker for you. Francisco Alvarez has hit with that sort of power for the New York Mets. Now, before these last couple of games, his batting average had plummeted. He's hitting 215. He's hitting 220. But we're talking about a catcher in his rookie year who's on pace to hit 30-plus home runs. We're talking about a rookie catcher who has handled the pitching staff better than anybody could have imagined. The Mets have had a lot of things go wrong for them in the first half of this year. Remember, this is a team that won north of 100 games that's still well under the 500 mark. That's still six, six and a half games out of a wild card spot. But they have something here in Alvarez. And you can't teach the ability to hit in the clutch. You kind of either have it or you don't. Alvarez relaxing and putting together big at-bats and being able to get those difference-making, game-tying, game-winning home runs, that's a great sign for the Mets moving forward. You want a positive going in the end of the first half? Alvarez is a positive without question. For a Met team now that is getting ready for a monstrous, in some ways, an eliminator type series against the San Diego Padres. You don't want to be too dramatic in July, but let's be real. The Padres and the Mets are the two most disappointing teams in baseball. They are. Padres, Mets, both teams played in the playoffs. Both teams had World Series aspirations. They're both six, six and a half out. They're both under the 500 mark. They each are in a position where one could be, dare I say, jump-started by going and winning a series going into the All-Star break. Where if you play well, you take two or three, dare I say, you sweep. That talented team, and both teams have talent. There's no getting around that. The Mets have talent. The Padres have a lot of elite-level talent. But who is going to be the team over the course of this weekend that kind of feels good about themselves going into the All-Star break and says, you know what? We could go and chase down the Miami Marlins. We can go and chase down the Philadelphia Phillies. See, I, I think the Phillies are legit. They won the World Series last year. The Dodgers are going to be a playoff team. Am I ready to say that the Miami Marlins are going to be in the postseason? I'm not. They've been incredible. Luisa Rise, insane win against the Cardinals the other day. Like, they have a lot cooking. But I'm still just not ready to buy Miami quite yet. Nah, not there. So, opportunity knocks. Mets Padres this weekend. Both teams who were like 10 to 1, 12 to 1, beginning of the season, they're in that 30 to 40 range right about now on FanDuel. Crazy to think about. Can one of those teams find themselves at least flirting with the idea come the All Star break of? putting themselves to be in position. Put yourself in a position where you're in position to be in position. That's what this weekend provides. 
This is New York, New York with John Jastrzemski. The local angle on FanDuel TV is coming right back. <laughs> 